This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 293. In today's episode, get the facts on the false report of an ASMP and NAMPA merger and photography news from Petapixel for this week. So last week, Petapixel and many other news outlets misreported on a merger between ASMP, which is the American Society of Media Professionals, and NAMPA, which is the North American Nature Photographers Association. And I'm here to give you the corrected information this week. This information came in an email I received this week from the two organizations, since I am a member of both. Unfortunately, There have been misunderstandings, misinformation, and speculation swirling around the announcement that NAMPA and ASMP are joining forces. NAMPA President Beth Hunting created a fact sheet to help clear the air. You can take a few minutes to read it, and don't forget to register for the members-only town hall meeting on Tuesday, November 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern for a deeper dive into this agreement and a chance to have all of your questions answered. Now, I'm going to read off the fact sheet to you now. Some important facts from the NAMPA president. Some of you have responded to a survey initiated by Arthur Morris. I am certain that you responded with good intentions in good faith as you care about NAMPA as much as does the NAMPA board. Sadly, the information presented to you by Arthur Morris was very misleading, and the following is a clarification of facts. First of all, the ASMP agreement. This agreement with the ASMP is not a merger and was not structured in any way as a merger. As I said in my initial response to Arthur, even this very premise is false. NAMPA maintains ownership of its core assets and ASMP may manage them in coordination with us only so long as ASMP fulfills all of its commitments to NAMPA. All NAMPA programming, events, benefits, committees, website, presence, name, separate social media, logo, and branding will remain as they did before. Any changes must be approved by the NAMPA Board of Trustees. The majority of the NAMPA Reserve Fund is also controlled by the NAMPA Board of Trustees with an allotment to ASMP to cover NAMPA's share of the transition cost and the operation of NAMPA programs during the transition period as we consolidate organizational operations. Now, as far as membership. If you want access to both NAMPA programs plus all that ASMP has to offer at the very same price you pay now, you will have it. Plus, access to ASMP's one-of-a-kind, one-on-one business and legal clinic time each week, copyright training, and its ASMP Academy offered in partnership with Sony. 
If you don't want those services, you can just not use them. Your $100 dues are not going up. Not now, not five years from now, period. If it weren't for this agreement, your dues would need to go up sooner than later, potentially by a lot. NAMPA finances. Those who keep saying we have money in the bank are right. We do, largely because we have not been able to replace critical positions as people leave. NAMPA can't afford to pay people a living wage to run important functions of the organization and has been using part-time contractors, many of whom move on for more lucrative opportunities. Costs such as insurance and conference facilities are also rising rapidly as we head into a likely recession. These issues are not unique to our association. By joining forces, both organizations significantly reduce back-end costs while improving services to members. NAMPA can now afford to be fully staffed as it should be, and more money can be spent on expanded programming and on improved benefits for our members. Why not negotiate this openly with the membership? This particular partnership and many other options were carefully vetted and negotiated in over a year of hard work, both by the NAMPA board and a task force of longtime NAMPA leaders working to solve the above issues, all with the help of volunteer outside counsel. Contrary to accusations, nothing was done in haste, but required trust and confidentiality to share volumes of private information back and forth with other parties to properly evaluate our options. This could not be done in front of hundreds or thousands of members anymore. This then negotiations of our significantly simpler conference venue or contractor agreements can be done that way. Arthur Morris's behavior shows why. What potential partner organization would ever want to subject themselves to being attacked and torn apart in uncivil ways? Yes, we seriously considered and even spent many volunteer hours and days interviewing association management companies, as Eric Bowles says he advocated as an option to address our issues. An outstanding concern is that AMCs don't understand photographers and photography the way ASMP does. AMCs share staffing with multiple organizations, not just one, and don't bring to our membership all the added benefits ASMP has to offer. Why ASMP? ASMP has hundreds of nature photographers and enthusiasts in its membership. Embracing photographers of all skill level is core to their mission, and they too have embraced our mission. They have evolved and are no longer just magazine and professional photographers as they used to be. Together with them, we will be a powerful force, and this force can cause real and meaningful change through combined advocacy, fighting for photographers' rights, and access, access to the public lands we all love and share. Increased combined membership numbers will provide needed new attendees and audiences for our programs and theirs, making programs financially viable, making us much more attractive to sponsors and speakers, and will allow us to negotiate better deals for members in our other partnership agreements. There's much more room to negotiate deals for our members with 6,500 versus 2,500 members. 
In our annual membership survey, NAMPA's members continue to ask for more benefits, particularly our pros or those wishing to build their photography into a business. NAMPA analyzed how to provide such services and their costs, which would have consumed NAMPA's financial reserves and more. A program similar to the ASMP Academy, powered by Sony, is one of the benefits that NAMPA members have been seeking. Why reinvent the wheel or require members to join two organizations when consolidation of cost benefits both memberships? As announced, there will be a NAMPA Town Hall next Tuesday, November 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Please come, listen, ask questions, and make your own judgment rather than listening to those who are perpetrating misinformation and who will resist and fight any kind of meaningful and necessary change. NAMPA isn't going anywhere, ever. It is growing and evolving to better serve you. Beth Hunting, NAMPA president. And I was relieved when I read this. Not, don't get me wrong. Like I said if, during the segment last week on um, the false narrative that the two companies were merging, I'm glad to see that the two organizations are pulling their resources to better accommodate their members and future conferences and workshops and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's a very smart idea. So as Beth said in this letter, in this fact sheet, they are not merging. They are combining their resources so that it makes it more affordable for both of them to offer as many services to their members and benefits as possible. Nampa, as she said, has had problems filling positions after people leave because they can't afford to pay a living wage. So by combining that part of the two organizations, they can each have fully staffed or have full staff without it costing each individual company a ton of money. In other words, they can have full-time employees that do different tasks or the same task at both organizations and pay them a single salary to do the same work for the two groups, which makes a lot more sense. It helps reduce both companies' out-of-pocket cost if they combine their financial might, which is a smart move to make. So I did want to make sure I shared that with my listeners this week. In case you were concerned or had any other questions, you can attend the town hall on November 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern and hear it for yourself. You can ask questions and so on and so forth. I think it's a great thing. And of course, I am going to continue to be a member of ASMP and NAMPA. I love both organizations and I've been a member of both since about 2012. So I see no reason to not continue being a part of the two organizations. And now on to the news for this week. Fujifilm warns it's 35 millimeter films in short supply for, quote, the time being. Film photography may be enjoying a resurgence in popularity, but worldwide supply chain issues are now holding back the industry's return. Fujifilm is warning that its 35mm films are expected to be in short supply for, quote, the time being. The Japanese corporation published a notice on its website on November 22nd that apologizes for expected shortages. Quote, due to the shortage of raw materials, supply and demand for color negative uh, film 135 size and reversal film 135 size are expected to be tight for the time being. Fujifilm writes, translated from Japanese, quote, we sincerely apologize for any inconvenience caused to our customers, 
quote, we will continue to take measures to ensure the stable supply of products as soon as possible. We appreciate your understanding. The Fujifilm 35 millimeter color negative films impacted by this are Fujicolor, uh, Fujicolor 100 and Fujicolor Superior Premium 400. And the Fujifilm 35 millimeter slide films affected are Fujichrome Velvia 50 and Fujichrome Velvia 100, as well as Fujichrome Provia 100F. Earlier this year, in early April, Fujifilm issued a virtually identical warning about shortages with its 120 films, also with its Velvia and Provia lines. It seems that Fujifilm had tried for half a year to continue regular production of its 35mm lines for those stocks, but the raw material shortages may now be too difficult to overcome. If you are an analog photographer who uses the film stocks mentioned in Fujifilm's latest notice, you may want to check your go-to film retailers and stock up while supplies last. There's no word yet on when the ongoing supply chain crunch will let up. So even though I have a considerable number of film cameras that are still 100% operational in my camera collection, Makes me kind of glad I don't shoot film anymore. And I do love the fact that, as I've said many times before, now that I shoot Fujifilm X-Series and GFX-Series bodies, I have all of that film in film simulations built right into my cameras. So I don't have to miss out on anything awesome like Provia or Velvia. Prototype 1964 Leica Noctilux 50mm f1.2 is expected to sell for $500,000. A prototype Leica Noctilux 50mm f1.2 from 1964 is expected to sell for $500,000 at the Lights Photographica auction next week. The rare lens informed the design of the first mass-produced 35mm lens to feature spherical elements, which was introduced in 1966. The lens will be offered as part of the 41st Lights Photographica auction that is set to take place on November 26th in Vienna. The Noctilux 50mm f1.2 B702 chrome prototype came two years before the mass-produced version of the lens was introduced in 1966. According to Lights Photographica auction, that lens represented the pinnacle of lens design and technological capabilities as the optic produced images that were virtually free of severe, uh, spherical and coma aberrations and had exceptional contrast. Quote, 50 years ago, it was a great challenge even for lights to develop such a lens, which was also reflected in the price. The lens was almost twice as expensive as the body of a Leica M4, the Lights Photographica auction says. The lens was produced for 10 years at a rate of about one per working day for a total of only about 1,800 units, making even the mass-produced version of the lens rare and highly sought after. This prototype, which was used to inform the production of the final units, is therefore even more rare. Described as a unicorn among Leica M lenses, this chromed original prototype is said to be in excellent condition despite some minor blemishes on the front and rear optics. Quote, the photographic test shows that the lens still delivers the beautiful dreamy images that the first version of the Noctilux is famous for. A small piece of graph paper is taped over the depth of field scale and it was used at the factory to mark test results on it, the auction house described. 
As it is a prototype, the designation not deluxe is not engraved on it. The Lights Photographica auction values the rare lens between four hundred and five hundred thousand dollars, and it will have a starting price of two hundred thousand. The prototype. Like a Noc Deluxe 50mm f1.2 is joined by several other rare specimens, including a Leica M3 prototype, a Leica M2 Black Paint Edition, and an M3 Olive uh, Bugadinistum. As fo- uh, Cosmo Photo reports, that last camera is another example of one that sold last year at the Wetzler auction for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So this is an interesting story, and that's why I wanted to cover it this week. I think it's really crazy that a Leica lens from nineteen sixty four is worth five hundred thousand dollars at auction, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, we've seen things go for insane prices. At auctions, whether it's artwork or photogra- uh, photographs or photography equipment, especially the older and the more rare it is, the higher the value. So I can imagine they will fetch a pretty penny for this. I actually would not be surprised if it sells for much more than 500000 being a, it's a one of a kind. It's basically a unicorn. And I'm sure there are some photography coll- uh, equipment collectors out there that have the deep pockets to possibly run this up even higher. I wouldn't be surprised if given the right circumstances, the thing ends up selling for closer to a million dollars. But we'll have to wait until after the auction to find out for sure. All right, I'm going to take a short break right here and then I will be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. Iranian photographer set to shoot World Cup is arrested and disappears. An Iranian photographer who is about to embark on his dream of shooting the World Cup has reportedly been arrested and imprisoned in his home country. According to the Journalism is Not a Crime Human Rights Group, photojournalist Araya Jafari was arrested at his home on September 25th. The Metro reports that Jafari was detained to stop his photographs of the protests in Iran from being published and shared internationally. Iranians have been continuing to protest against the country's religious regime since the death of a 22-year-old Mazda Amini in in police custody. Amini was arrested by morality police in uh, Tehran on September 13th for allegedly violating Iran's strict rules requiring women to cover their hair with a hijab or a headscarf. The news that Jafari's arrest was originally shared on Instagram by the photographer's friend and colleague, Amir Josini. Uh, Before his arrest, Hosini explained that Jafari had contacted him to say he was due to travel to Qatar in time for the World Cup's opening ceremony. Quote, the good news was that after all these years of photography and effort, he was going to achieve his dream and go to the World Cup as a photographer, writes Hosini in an Instagram post. Quote, I was happy with all my heart that he was finally going to get what he deserves. 
Jafari was previously arrested by Iranian authorities in 2014 after he photographed the acid attack protests in Isfahan, which were triggered by a spat of acid attacks against women. On Twitter, Jafari's most recent post was a retweet of a photo of the protests on the streets of Iran, which was dated September 21. The photographer's Instagram page suggests he had turned his focus to Iranian football ahead of the World Cup. Saman Javadi, who runs social media channels dedicated to the Iranian football team, tells the Metro that Amani's arrest probably happened to prevent him from doing his work professionally. Reporting the protest means that his pictures would be published outside of Iran. In a show of solidarity with people opposed to the country's regime, the Iranian football team stood silent for a national anthem before their match against England on Monday. As the country continues to protest, photos show what life looked like for Iranian women before the 1979 revolution. The collection of pictures, which were taken in the 1960s and 70s and featured in magazines and publications, reveals how much culture, fashion, and women's freedoms have changed in Iran. And I feel bad for this guy, and I can understand the position that he's in right now. I feel really sad for him, and I hope the regime does not execute him. Uh, that would be a terrible shame and a terrible crime against the photographic community. I hope that he is released from prison and allowed to go about his life. It's just sad that now he's missing out on photographing the World Cup because of this tense situation in his home country. How much to charge as a photographer? How much should photographers charge? I feel like that statement is as triggering as my toddler asking me about death or where babies come from. But unlike the age-appropriate answers we give our kids on hard topics, it, topics, it's important to do some adulting on the topic of money. The money journal as an artist can be a tricky one. You might uh, journey. I'm sorry. You might be oscillating between feeling guilty about charging for your work and being pissed that your clients don't value you more. Maybe you just feel lucky to get to do what you love, or perhaps you're tired of being overworked and underpaid in this career that was supposed to make you happy. No matter where you are in your photography career, let's see if we can tackle this money question without hiding in the corner. Here are a few quick questions you need to ask yourself when determining your pricing structure, so let's start there. How much should photographers charge? Below are the three main steps to help you determine how much you should charge. The main thing to be aware of is following all the way through to step three. One, charge what you're worth. How much expertise or experience do you have? Two, charge competitive prices. What is the industry standard for your type of photography? And three, charge what you need to be sustainable. How much do you need to make to support yourself? No, really, calculate an actual number. How a photographer's experience level impacts what they charge. If you are completely new to photography and are just shooting photos for fun, there might come a time when you start to wonder if you can make money with this thing you love. There's a turning point when you start to charge for your work, and then there's another turning point when you start to charge market value for your work. Then there's another turning point when you get frustrated with those hobbyists that, are, that bring down the market value because they're trying, you're trying to make a living. If you're a full-time professional photographer, or if you want to be, you have to be experienced enough that you can make a living, so we'll be talking about that later for sure. 
But if you're inexperienced, that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't charge. Charging for your work helps you take yourself seriously, it helps your clients take you seriously, and it helps the industry as a whole. My advice is to look at the market rate in your area based on something simple like a Google search, where you'll quickly discover a wide range of pricing that's somewhere based on, somewhat based on the experience of the photographers. The top photographers in an area are probably at the higher end and have branded themselves as luxury photographers. Then there will be an average, and then there will be some less experienced photographers charging less and possibly focusing on quantity over quality. You can compare your work to what's out there and get a starting point by aligning yourself accordingly. Analyze the market to help you decide what to charge as a photographer. As you dive into the world of the business of photography, you'll discover that industry standards and market values can vary based on the type of photography you do, the industry you do it in, and your geographic location. As we talked about it in the previous section, it will vary even more depending on your experience level, business model, and branding. The hope is that the industry standards result in a living wage for photographers, but unlike some other careers, it's unfortunately a little more complicated. In the next section, we'll talk about how much you need to live and structuring your pricing based on that. However, you'll end up needing to circle back to market value to ensure the market will sustain your pricing. Some photography rates are priced hourly, while others are priced by the project. Photographers might offer an a la carte pricing or packages. It can be dizzying to try to wade through the countless ways to price things. Somewhat unhelpful ballpark figures for pricing. Wedding photography, often priced in packages, and some packages are all-inclusive with files and albums, while others have a lower entry point and try to upsell after the fact. Packages range wildly, geographically, and otherwise, and can be anywhere from $2,000 to $10,000. Portrait photography. Some photographers charge a small session fee of $100 to $400 and then sell products after the fact, while other photographers include products in digital files and charge more like $1,000 to $2,000. Event photography. Often priced hourly, but some photographers might have a minimum number of hours and rates can be anywhere from $100 to $500 per hour. Real estate photography. Some companies do bulk work utilizing subcontractors charging in the $100 range, while luxury photographers might charge closer to $1,000. Commercial photography. Day rates or creative fees for a project might range between $100 and $5,000 or even higher for brand name photographers. And then there might be additional licensing fees above that, scalable based on the industry, image usage, or size of the project. The reason these ranges are so unhelpful is because it's a huge range. A wedding photographer that shoots weddings at $2,000 that needs to make $100,000 would need to shoot 50 weddings per year. Meanwhile, a photographer that charges $5,000 would need to shoot 20, but those 20 might be more high pressure and they might have to deliver more. Since the above numbers are somewhat broad, I highly recommend diving deeper into these numbers in order to get a better idea of what applies to your specific circumstance for your specialty in the industry you work in, for your geographical area, and your level of experience and skills. How much do you need to support yourself? Which brings us to the question, how much do you need to support yourself? 
If you're going to be a self-employed, one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give you is to make a personal budget. Sure, I'm going to tell you to calculate your business expenses too, but sometimes we want to do what we love and we forget what we have that we have responsibilities and bills to pay as well. So figure out your personal budget to cover your rent, mortgage, food, transportation, and any other aspects of your lifestyle. Then add on for things like retirement, savings, and taxes. Then calculate your cost of doing business, remembering to include things like health insurance, equipment, internet, marketing, and so forth. My guess is that when you add up all those numbers, you'll be surprised at how expensive life actually is. Then maybe you'll feel less guilty about charging for your work because you deserve to be able to fix your car and save for retirement just as much as your clients do. In summary, price competitively and sustain and sustainably. Essentially, my goal for you would be that you price yourself competitively and sustainably. Don't undervalue yourself, but rather make sure that you price your work competitively with similarly experienced photographers and price yourself sustainably so that you can continue to do what you love. Remember, one, analyze your experience level. Two, analyze standard pricing in your specialty industry in geographical location. And three, then make sure you can run your business, pay your taxes, and support yourself. Somehow, many of us have learned to undervalue creative pursuits. You can see it in the wild ranges of pricing in both what photographers charge and what clients are willing to pay. While there's bound to be a range in how photography is valued in the marketplace, it's important to follow through all the way to step three when deciding how much to charge. And this is a great article on this subject, and I highly recommend that you all check it out. You can find this article in the show notes for today's episode and give this a lot of thought because you do have to make sure that you're pricing yourself so that you can make a decent living. Now, if you remember all the way back in episode 27 of this show, I had an article that was called Don't Let Social Media Stifle Your Creativity. And today I have another article for you on photographers and social media. Four reasons photographers should limit their social media use. In the process of chasing that magical number on one, uh, one number one on social media, artists are unfortunately losing the ability to do their craft and no longer focusing on the only thing that will actually shape the next generation of artists. We are slowing down processes that we should be speeding up. This is a call to action for every visual artist, photographer, writer, producer, designers, etc. Yes, you. Social media has convinced us that we do that we need to integrate ourselves into our work and through doing so we have forgotten why we do what we do in the first place. We are here to create meaning and share it with everyone who will listen. The idea of why you started taking photos has been lost in a sea of likes, comments, tags and engagement. Social media is getting the best of you. It's time to stop using social media at least for a little while. You've got to escape the hype and the illusion of social media. Be a real artist and follow these four suggestions to limit your social media use and focus more on creating the images rather than just showing them off. Reason one, social media is not the be-all and end-all of marketing. 
We all know that social media is a huge part of our lives, but it's not the only way to reach your audience. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, quote, if I didn't have social media, I wouldn't be able to reach my clients. This is simply not true. People will say things like, quote, times are evolving. You just haven't caught up yet or any other random excuse for why they should stick with what they know instead of looking into other tools. But here's the thing. There are plenty of great ways to reach your audience without relying on social media. Here are some ideas. Create a personal website with great SEO. Attend conventions and public networking events. Use outreach initiatives like email outreach or paid ads on sites like Facebook and Google AdWords. Word of mouth is still one of the best ways to get new clients. Social media is great for getting your name out there and connecting with other photographers, but it's not the only tool in the toolbox. Reason two, the algorithm is a fictional boogeyman. The algorithm is not the problem. People are. They're the ones who have convinced you that you should spend every waking hour on social media posting and interacting with a million posts in hopes that you may get enough reactions to cash in on the super secret customer package social media hides from you. Truth is, many successful artists can go days and weeks without uploading content to the web without being hidden or shadow banned. They do it by focusing on their quality of work, taking some time away from social media and concentrating more on having the right people in their network instead of just random people in the hopes that they will give them reactions and you can be just like them. Reason three, unnecessary drama. I've mentioned this before, but bears repeating there's a lot of drama on social media that just simply does not need to exist. I have seen so many photographers get tagged in posts from their photography accounts on Facebook with people tagging him to say something like, did you know this person is a mutual friend? I just thought I would warn you they are insert some offense. This is a huge problem and it happens all the time. It's one thing when someone asks you why you took photos of people with different political or religious beliefs than them. It's another thing when someone asks why you worked with so-and-so and, -so and who, gave, uh, who gave them dirty looks seven years ago at a birthday party. And it's yet another thing when someone asks, how dare you let a person comment on your post when they can't stand the way that person spells their name? Yes, these kinds of things happen all the time. And if you're, you haven't seen them before, you hopefully never will. But when you are a photographer on social media, people will constantly want you to be on an apology tour of for things that are out of your control. Reason four, no one actually needs 24-hour access to you. Social media is a powerful tool, but it's not a business model, and it's not a replacement for all other forms of marketing, no matter how much you want it to be. When you're a photographer or an account, whether you're a photographer or an accountant, the most important thing to remember is that your clients don't pay you for access to your Instagram account. They pay you because they need your services and because they trust you that you'll deliver those services well. So if you're going to base your entire business model around social media platforms, create a schedule and stick to it. And in that schedule, have time where you log out and turn off notifications, though most phones actually have scheduled sleep mode, you can set up to turn on automatically and go spend time with your family. 
No client needs access to you 24-7. They don't. Inquiries can wait until the morning. And even emergencies can wait until the morning. You're a photographer, not a doctor, unless they uh, specifically hire you as their doctor. Social media isn't the only way to go. Social media is a great tool for photographers, but it's not the only one. If you want to be a social media photographer, that's fine. But if you're a photographer and feel like you're being forced to use social media in order to become successful and wish it was different, well, it can be. There are plenty of other ways to drum up business without feeling trapped by algorithms and hordes of people waiting to jump on any reason to watch a business go up in flames just because they find it fun to watch, knowing damn well the business did nothing wrong. So take it from me. There is a life to be lived and beautiful art to be created outside the four walls of Facebook and the gram. You should try it sometime. And I think this is an excellent article because, as I've said before on the show, and especially back in episode 27, social media is not the end-all, be-all. I spend very little time on social media. I use it mostly only for my photography stuff nowadays. i sure I have friends and family members on my Facebook, but most of my Facebook posts are from my Liam Photography page and not my personal timeline. I do a little bit of posting on my personal timeline, especially since my wife, Tina, has been battling leukemia, just to keep friends and family members updated on her progress. But you don't need social media in order to get clients. And last for today's episode, eight great gift ideas for photographers in the 2022 holiday season. Maybe snow hasn't drifted down to your windowsill yet, but no doubt the tiny, uh, tingly sensation of the holidays is just quickly creeping up on us. Add a little eggnog to your coffee in the morning might give you the right amount of fuel for wrapping presents and cooking hams. As we rev up for this warming and giving season, we are here to make the shopping part of it as easy as possible for you. If you're in the market to either treat yourself or treat some loved ones to tools and gear in the photography field, then this is the guide for you. Here we go with seven plus products to buy this holiday season. First up is the OM5 and MZUKO uh, 12 to 45 millimeter F4 Pro Kit by OM System. Every journey is a story waiting to be told, a thousand little moments hidden between a beginning and an end. This is for you and your thousand moments. Tell your story with the new OM system, ON5, featuring class-leading IP53 dustproof, splashproof, and freeze-proof design. Get closer, see more from afar, and let computational photography features like Live ND inspire you to try new things and see your surroundings in a new light. Pair it with the lightweight and weather-sealed MZUKIO 12-45mm F4 Pro, and you'll have the ultimate portable camera system ready for your adventures. Now go tell your story. Photo Gifts by SAAL Sal Digital. All you need is a picture to make a special, unique, and high-quality gift. Sal Digital's Photo Gifts are a great idea to surprise your loved ones with your best photographs while meeting the quality standards you expect. You can choose from a wide variety of options such as mugs, puzzles, metal boxes, photo plaques, photo bricks, and many more. Designing and ordering are very easy and can be done in minutes from the comfort of your computer, phone, or tablet. An emotional, simple, and high-quality gift. 
Next is the Tokina ATX-M 11-18mm F2.8E by Tokina USA. Save $100 on the best-selling Tokina 11-18mm F2.8 for Sony E-mount mirrorless APS-C digital cameras. Engineered from the ground up, the new Tokina ATX-M 11-18mm F2.8 sets the new standard for compact, fast-aperture, super-wide-angle lenses. Get yours today for only $4.99 during the Tokina Holiday Instant Savings event, which ends January 8, 2023. Pro G40 SSD by SanDisk Professional. The Pro G40 SSD from SanDisk Professional is a simple, flexible solution that enables your loved ones or favorite colleagues to unlock creativity and get the job done. Available in up to two terabytes, this drive is perfect for those capturing, editing, rendering, and transferring large amounts of high-quality video and photo content. It features compatibility with both Thunderbolt 3, 40 gigabits per second, and USB 3.2 Gen 2, which is 10 gigabits per second, for added versatility to efficiently collaborate across devices. Its pro-grade enclosure with IP68 dust and water resistance, up to 4,000-pound crush resistance, and up to 3 meters drop resistance help withstand the elements in just about every location. Lighting Gear and Accessories by Westcott Enjoy big savings this season on Westcott's lineup of lighting gear and accessories. Pair these savings with Westcott's unmatched U.S. customer service, and you've got a winning combination. $75 instant savings on Westcott FJ400, the most feature-rich strobe, including the best color consistency, 500-plus full-power shots, and included accessories. $90 instant savings on Westcott FJ200, the fastest recycle time among 200-watt-second strobes, along with a round head designed for filling light modifiers perfectly. Save up to $50 on all Westcott RapidBox and save $50 on most RapidBox switch light modifiers, featuring the fastest setup times combined with the most durable materials. Save $30 instantly on the most complete ring light kit. This kit features multiple mounts for cameras and phones, a light stand, and a beautiful large bicolor ring light with power and color temperature adjustments. The most complete ring light kit for $150. Looking for a quick building backdrop system? Big savings on all Westcott's 5 foot by 7 foot X-Drop backdrops. The Vari CF703 Carbon Fiber Professional Tripod Bundle by Slick Tripods. Save $150 on the Ultimate Carbon Fiber Tripod Bundle. The Slick Vari CF703 includes three foot options, three center column options, three locking leg positions, an accessory port, a stainless steel hook, and a carrying case. Light and small enough to travel anywhere while strong enough to support over 17 pounds of gear thanks to its machined aluminum collar, giving you multiple ways to set up your tripod for just about any photo or video situation. Now only $3.99 after instant savings. Black Diffusion Filters by KNF Concept. The KNF Concept Black Diffuse Filter can make your digital images look more cinematic. They are made of aviation aluminum alloy and high-end craftsmanship to ensure high-quality pictures while increasing scratch resistance. This article is brought to you by OM Systems, Sal Digital, Tokina, SanDisk, Westcott, Slick Tripods, and KNF Concepts. So those are some absolutely fantastic gift ideas. And one more that I'm going to throw at you that I threw at you last week as well 
on for the Thanksgiving episode. Also, be sure to stop by platypod.com. Listeners of the show do have a discount code of NL20 that is good until the end of 2022 on any platypod named products that are sold on platypod.com. So now would be a great time to pick up one of the flat tripods or one of the tripod bundles. Or if you have the money for it, go ahead and get that photographer in your life, one of the platyball reverse engineered ball heads, which make fantastic gifts and are super high quality products. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 293 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. Also wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media, hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops. Later on today, I will be releasing my unboxing review of the Platypod Ergo ball head from platypod.com. So make sure you're subscribed to the channel so you'll know when that video releases the moment when it hits, you'll be there, you'll get your notification and be able to watch it right away. All right. I want to thank you all and I will see you all again on Thursday. <laughs>